So uh, this morning we're, we're looking, we're continuing in our Psalms of Ascent, and uh, I was given uh, for this week Psalm 131. And so if you open to that, you'll be really delighted to see that it's only three verses. <laughs> so I shouldn't go more than five minutes over my time. Um, that's right. uh, you know, and, and as I looked at this psalm, it, it kind of struck me, because I don't really resonate that well with this psalm. Um, you know, as I kind of thought about it, like, how, how can I, I put this or uh, frame this psalm? I was thinking, I actually started thinking about uh, a situation a few years ago in college basketball. Uh, now, for me, I went to Syracuse University, so I'm a huge Syracuse basketball fan. I, I love the orange um, and everything they're about, but I will confess, our head coach has been there since the beginning of time, and it might be time for him to move on. Um, just in his coaching, also like his interviews, he doesn't seem like the nicest guy. He comes across as very arrogant, um, and that bugs me a little bit. Um, now, with that said, there's a little bit of a juxtaposition, because my father-in-law went to Villanova. And so because of that, I've kind of followed Villanova over the last few years, and I, I have to say, I love that coach. I'm actually kind of saddened that he's, he's retiring, uh, Jay Wright. Um, for those of you who don't know, Jay Wright has been the coach of, of Villanova for, for a few years now. Um, he's, he seems to be a, he's a great coach. He's very well-dressed. Um, and uh, he, he also just seems to be like a really nice, down-to-earth guy. Like whenever you hear him in, in interviews um, or on TV or whatever, and even on the sideline, he just always seems like in full, full kind of control and composure. He seems very cordial. Um, he's got it. He's got it together. It feels like he seems like a, a calm and and kind of easygoing guy to an extent. Uh, and and I think that never proved even more. Like it proved even more. It proved even more in 2016 when they won their first championship. And now, I don't know if you guys remember or follow this at all, but let me paint a little bit of a picture. Um, Villanova went on this great run in the tournament, and uh, they ended up playing UNC, which, to be honest, at that point, UNC was kind of a bigger team than they were. Um, and so it was kind of a, it was a, it was a pretty intense game all the way through. It went back and forth, back and forth. And then, like, in the final, like, 15, 20 seconds there was this guy from UNC hit this crazy three-point shot where he, he got the ball and his body was all distorted and he shot it up and he nailed it. And I think he tied the game at that point. He either tied or they took a one-point lead. Um, but it, it felt like, uh-oh, like they're, they're in trouble. Um, this is not going to be good. They only have about 10 seconds left. And then they inbound the ball and it was this crazy, obviously designed play where the point guard brings the ball up, but then all of a sudden the guy who, in, who passed the ball in had kind of sneakily come up behind him, and so the guy turned and passed it to him, and he just takes this shot, and there's no time left on the clock as it's in the air, and it goes in, and they win the game with this crazy three-point play. And I actually have a picture of that right here. Here's the guy, Jenkins, taking the shot. Notice in the top, Jay Wright. Look how much excitement he has there as he's a, as he's watching the game-winning sh- the game-winning shot go in the air. And and what's crazy, I couldn't find a picture of this. I really wanted to find one, and my wife didn't believe me, so she searched. She couldn't find one either. But if you were watching the game, um, I kind of noticed this when that shot goes in, the whole place, the whole crowd, just gets to their feet and goes up and explodes. But Jay Wright continues standing like that. 
And then he just turns calmly and walks and shakes the hand of the other coach. Like nothing, it's like he was like, yeah, that's how we designed it. That's what was supposed to happen. Like it was, it was the weirdest thing. And I, I recently um, watched an interview with him talking about this and I didn't notice this, but when the shot went up, they actually have him on camera. He actually mouthed the words bang as the ball was in the air. I like confidently like bang, there it goes. It's going to go in. And he said like, I kind of say that every time something like that's going to happen. But he said, these are his exact words. He said, in that moment, all I knew was we had practiced this a lot. We were ready for this moment. And when the ball was in the air, it was in God's hands. So whatever happens, happens. And there you go. And he just had this calmness about him. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you. I'm not that type of person. If I was coaching the team, I would be losing my mind. Glenn, I don't know how you would be in that moment, but, uh, I've seen you coach. I have thoughts. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I would be losing my mind. Um, but he had this calmness and coolness. And I got to tell you, I'm a little envious of that. Like, I wish I could stay as composed as he did. And so with that said, um, that's some, reading Psalm 131, it kind of caught me off guard a little bit, almost to the point of like, why am I preaching on this? Um, but if you have your Bibles open, let's look real quick. Um, Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And I got to tell you, this whole my soul is quieted and calm thing, that is not exactly something that I resonate with. I kind of see myself more of less of a Psalm 131 guy and more of a Psalm 13 guy, which says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Um, I tend to be in this angsty moment, right? Like I'm always kind of feeling more like that. But you know, I think it's actually possible to be both a Psalm 13 kind of guy and a Psalm 131 guy. And I say that because both of those Psalms are superscribed as Psalms of David. Um, you know, while we don't exactly know when Psalm 131 would have been written, I think it's safe to say that at this point in David's life, he's come to know God more through the experience of his relationship with him. David has seen God protect him through great trials. He has seen God fulfill promises. And even based on Psalm 130, David has seen God's steadfast love and forgiveness. So Psalm 131, I believe, gives us a look at David's heart. And it's a heart with proper perspective. It's a soul at peace. And it's a life that's lived with hope. Um, Spurgeon said of this psalm that it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. It speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment. Thank you for allowing us to come here and worship you. Uh, Lord, I pray right now uh, that you would open our hearts and minds, that you would guide my words. Lord, speak to our hearts. Uh, let us hear from you this morning and know what true calmness and quietness means. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, we're going to jump right in here, uh, back in the psalm, verse 1. Uh, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Um, you know, 
and, and then also, I do not occupy myself with things too great, things too marvelous. I don't think the message here, I don't think what Dave is trying to relay is, well, I'm going to lower my expectations, or I'm just not going to try hard, because whatever. Um, that's not really what is going on here. Uh, he's actually speaking to not having his heart lifted up too high in pride. Um, he's speaking to not lifting his eyes up um, or occupying himself with things too great. He's speaking of selfish ambition. He's not having selfish ambition. I think Paul uh, kind of echoes this in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, when our hearts or when our hearts or our eyes are not lifted up, they are no longer inward focus, right? It's kind of hard to see the people around you when you're kind of looking over them. Um, actually, a great illustration of just this just happened before this service. Uh, uh, I won't say, well, actually, he said I could share it. Ward um, was walking and almost walked, uh, walked right into my daughter because she was here and he was looking up. And he, he's like, oh, sorry. And I said, Hi, Ward, your eyes are lifted too high. Um, but, <laughs> but there you go. Um, yeah. When our eyes are lifted up, we tend to be very inward-focused. Um, we, 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 we see ourselves as above others. And here, the psalmist is saying he's not doing that. Um, he has his eyes fixed where they need to be. Um, there's a humility in that that seeks to love and to serve those around you. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, tend to not, I don't tend to think of myself as, as being a prideful person. Uh, but yet... I find that it manifests itself in very sneaky ways, and more times than not, I am definitely guilty of being prideful. Um, Because pride is when I don't want to talk to someone because they annoy me, or I think it's going to turn into a hassle. Um, Pride is when I only surround myself with people that I like or that I'm comfortable around, even though I'm called to to go to the least of these, or or maybe people that that might make me uncomfortable. you know, when I was in college, my fres- freshman year, I wasn't really walking with the Lord, but I would have told you I was a Christian. Uh, my roommate was, was a believer, um, and uh, we had a really tight uh, floor. Like, the, everybody on our floor got along really well. Um, we always were hanging out. We had sports teams together in the intramural leagues. It was just a great group of guys to be around. Uh, except there was this one guy who was uh, just a complete jerk. Like, he just went out of his way to be a jerk to everyone. Like, he would try to say the meanest thing he could to you. And that's just how he was. Uh, and so when it came to second semester uh, of, our, of our freshman year, it was time to start looking at who we were going to room with the, the following year. And so my roommate and I decided there were these four-person suites in our dorm that we really liked. And so we wanted to get one of those. And so it was myself, my roommate, and then my roommate had a friend that was transferring in. So we had three, but we needed a fourth. And everybody started pairing up, and and we couldn't find anybody. And finally, my roommate said, you know, we should invite this guy, who's the complete jerk, to be our roommate, our fourth roommate. And I was like, "Uh, really? Like, I don't think that's a good idea. And he's like, Dave, if we're Christians, we should be inviting him in. And I'm like, is that what the Bible says? Like, I don't, really? Um, But lo and behold, we did it. 
We invited this guy to be our roommate. Well, um, I've shared this before, I believe, in my testimony a little bit, but, but the day before my sophomore year of college is when God really got a hold of me. Um, slapped me around, and I, I said, okay, God, I need to live my life for you and stop living it for myself. And uh, so I, I get back to college. I'm very excited about the Lord. And then I remember, like, we've got this roommate who not only was a jerk to everybody, but he did not like Christians or Christianity. And so what was odd was every weekend, and I kind of blame Young Life for this, my roommate and his buddy were very involved in Young Life, so every weekend they weren't around. And so every weekend it was just me and this other guy. And it was just us all weekend. Um, and and, and we, so we ended up hanging out a lot. And it was crazy because it was this mixture of a guy who loved to make fun of Christians and just make fun of everyone, and then a guy who's kind of feeling this this um, uh, joy of his salvation and very excited about it, and you're just throwing us in a room together and see what happens. Um, and I got to tell you, I wish I had a story that was like, oh, he came to faith and it was beautiful. No, no. Um, but I will say that we developed a great friendship. Um, I got I got to know him better and kind of see below this surface-level jerkiness that he had. Um, and he got to experience kind of a Christian in a different way than he had seen. Um, and we had a great friendship throughout that whole year. Um, and, and actually, I was blessed by, by being his friend and being able to, to, to just come alongside of him and, and, like I said, maybe show him uh, Christianity in a, in a different light. Um, but I would have never done that if I had kind of stuck to my own pride or selfish ambition. I, I thank God for my, my roommate that was, did have his eyes set straight and say, Dave, we need to do this. Um, because I got to experience a cool, cool friendship and then also, like I said, kind of grow um, in my own faith through that. Um, I've seen times in my life when, uh, when my heart is lifted up, that's when my eyes can become raised too high as the psalmist declares that he's not doing here in verse 1. And, and perhaps he's, he's echoing a little bit Deuteronomy 29, 29, where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. You know, I think what the psalmist might be hinting at here is that sometimes when our eyes are lifted high, we, and I, we start to, as he said earlier, um, occupy ourselves with things that are too great, too marvelous, we start to look beyond what God has for us, right? Um, as that the Deuteronomy pointed out, he's revealed to us what we need to know um, and what we need to do. But I think sometimes when our eyes get too high, we start to focus above these things. And what am I talking about? Well, we have, we have God's law, like, like the, the, the Hebrew people did. Um, we have God's word, we have his spirit, and we have the church— um, yet so often, we, we, we kind of look outside of those things to, to form who we are. We look outside of those things for direction. Um, and, and sadly, we look outside of those things that, to form our beliefs, even about Christianity. Um, I heard Tim Keller say at a conference a few years ago that this generation is being catechized by social media and pop culture. And, and I think catechize is a really good good word for that. Because um, social media and pop culture aren't just forming who we are as a society, but more and more, and I think Joe uh, Chi uh, referenced this a few weeks ago, it's more and more, it's starting to form what we believe about our faith. Um, I can't tell you how many times I'll, I've seen people post or repost things 
um, and they'll, they'll claim like, oh, this is what Jesus is about, and this is what Christianity is, and they sound nice, but they are not at all biblically accurate or true. Um, I have, uh, I've heard people, you know, while the church isn't a perfect place, um, I've heard people, there's definitely a narrative out there uh, that overgeneralizes the church, so that people who have never really been to or been part of a church all of a sudden have become experts and like to tell you what the church is all about. Um, now, don't get me wrong. There is some uh, good in social media, and pop culture can be fun, but they shouldn't be what forms our beliefs about the God of the universe who is holy and just and full of grace. Um, Honestly, when you go home today, I think this would be a great exercise. Just take a step back and ask yourself, um, what are the things that I believe about sin or the purpose of the church or the authority of the Bible or who God is? What, are the, what do I believe about that? And then ask yourself, where are those beliefs coming from? Because if they're not coming from the Word of God or a gospel-preaching church, then you might want to seriously reconsider what you believe about those things, or at least take pause um, and, and reevaluate where the source of uh, your beliefs are coming from. The psalmist says in verse 1 that he doesn't occupy himself with things too great or too marvelous. And as I mentioned before, when our eyes are lifted too high, we tend to think that our plans or goals are more important than what God has for us. Um, that's this selfish ambition that Paul talks about in Philippians. Uh, sometimes we see, we kind of view selfish ambition only as things that we do, but other times I, I think it can be seen in what we're not doing. Um, for instance, God calls us to share our faith, but um, how often are we actually doing that? Uh, and, and how often are we not sharing our faith because we're afraid of rejection or looking weird, or, or not knowing what to say. Um, if that's our reasoning, those, those are fueled by pride. Uh, in in uh, Romans chapter 10, it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Our team that went to London uh, back in uh, July had a debrief meeting this past uh, week, uh, and it was called a, a LEAP team, right? Um, and so we were kind of debriefing our experience there in London, and, and a lot of us were commenting on the fact that we were so impressed that the team in London had um, intentionally built such great relationships with people within their communities um, whether it be people that attended their church, but also people of other religions or other, other faiths. Um, they have created such great relationships. But not only that, they then are very intentional about sharing the gospel with these people. And we realized that for us here in the States, um, we've built relationships with people, and we love Jesus but we've never seemed to intentionally put those two things together, at least speaking of for those of us who are on the team. Like, we've kind of noticed that there's, there's a, a missing thing in, in how we're living out our, our faith. Um, you know, I think it's good to build relationships with people, and God will use those relationships to draw people to himself. But the gospel is something that we are all called to share. 
uh, with those that we come in contact with. Every relationship we have, the gospel should be the foundation, and it should be pouring out of who we are. Um, Christ calls all of us to share the gospel. You know, I think it's easy sometimes to be like, well, that's Dave's job or Anthony's job or whoever works at the church. They'll do that. I'll just keep doing my thank heavens we have them. They'll do it. Um, but but that's not, that's not what uh, Christ calls us to. He calls all of us to be sharing, whether we're at home or at school or at work. And I'll even, I'll even kind of um, boldly say, too, that God might be calling some of us to uh, foreign missions fields. Um, and, and I'll say that if God's calling you to that, but your reasons for not going are it's too dangerous or it'll hurt the career that I've been building or want to build, um, if it's any reason other than God's not calling me there, then your eyes might be set too high. Um, just something to think about, something I've been thinking about as we've been kind of processing this trip to London. Um, so with all that, in telling us what the, in the psalmist telling us what he's not doing, he shows us that he has a heart with a proper perspective. Now moving on to verse 2, he kind of fleshes that out a little bit of what that looks like. Um, but I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. And so here the psalmist describes having a calm and quieted soul, and he uses the poetic device of simile to describe what that looks like. His soul, his soul is calm and quiet like a weaned child with its mother. Now, for young people and maybe single guys, I looked up the word weaned, so don't worry, I've got it. Um, weaned means, it's uh, usually speaking of an infant or other young mammal, it means to accustomed uh, to food other than its mother's milk. So the idea here is that when a baby is born, all they know really is that they're hungry, um, and they become quite fond of the source where the food comes from. Um, if the mother's breastfeeding, then she is known to the baby as the source of food and that nothing else will satisfy. Um, for those of you who have kids, maybe you know about this. Uh, I experienced it quite a bit. Uh, not me as a baby. Well, I'm sure I did as a baby, but I don't remember. Um, but having my own children, uh, and I won't say which one because they're here, uh, but my, I had a child who this was very difficult for him. Oh, I said him. That narrows it down to two. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Uh, he, he, so my wife, uh, uh, you know, she had her maternity leave, uh, but then she had to go back to work. And so then it was just me and this kid. Um, and I do not have the means to feed her, feed this kid the same way my wife did. Um, and so we had to try to get him used to eating from a bottle. And so we tried before she left and he was not really taking to it to the point where he still wasn't there. Um, when my wife went back to work. And I've got to tell you, it had to be a solid month where every day I would walk around my house for like an hour and a half, two hours, with him screaming his head off because he was hungry, but he refused to eat from this bottle because it was not what he was used to or wanted. Um, and I, that kid was so stubborn. Like, we tried everything. Like, we tried using the different you know, tops or nipples or whatever they call them. We tried a variety of ones, and guess which one he landed on? the one we tried first. That's the one he ended up with. I guess he needed to know all the other ones weren't as good. I don't know. Um, but it took forever uh, for us to get there, and that's because an, uh, an unweaned child, that's all they know. They know I'm hungry, and this is where I get food. Um, 
the, uh, the relationship for an unweaned baby is one built out of what they can get from the mother. But when a child is weaned, they start to have a relationship with the mother built more out of who she is, as she provides not just physical needs, but also attention, love, and security. Um, commentator James Hamilton puts it this way. He says, The child no longer comes to the mother actively frantic and hungry, but resting, safe, and satisfied. And this is how it is with the Lord. When we stop seeing him as only a source from which we can get stuff, and start seeing him as the God of the universe who created us, who loves us, who's our security and our redeemer through Jesus Christ, then we can start to find calm and quietness in our souls. The psalmist says in verse 2, I have quieted and calmed my soul, but don't take that as him doing it all himself. I mean, once again, using this picture, you know, a, a weaned child doesn't do this in his own strength. It's not like a weaned child lies in front of a mirror um, and says, ooh, now I'm calm and quiet because I have it. They're calm, they're able to calm and quiet themselves because they're, they're with their mother. Um, they find that comfort and quietness when they're in, held in the arms of their mother. And so in the arms of God, we can start to quiet and calm our souls. And, and before I move on, I do want to point out that... Um, I'm not saying that this is a, uh, you know, a message to those of us who have maybe have anxiety or mental health issues. This isn't a message saying, well, you can be cured of that if you just trust in God and don't worry, but you'll be fine. Just trust in God. Um, I've shared this before. Um, I, I struggle with anxiety and I regularly go to a counselor. Um, I find myself completely anxious at times. Um, but remember that Psalm 13 that I mentioned earlier that I, I resonate with? Um, you know, there's endless wrestling with your thoughts and feeling like death is, is imminent. But yet, the end of Psalm 13 ends this way. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. You know, the psalmist still wrestles with his thoughts, and he still feels like death could be around the corner, yet he's able to, to say these things. Um, the beginning of Psalm 13 may feel bleak, but he's taking his fear and anxiety to God. Um, he's taking them to God because God has been good to him. God has saved him. God has, uh, God's love has been unfailing to him. And, and once again, there may not be complete serenity in some of the situations we face, but I do believe there is a calmness and quietness that can anchor our souls during those times. And what brings that calmness and quietness? Well, verse 3 tells us that it's hope in the Lord. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And so, out of context, Psalm 131 uh, may sound like some sort of like self-help or, uh, you know, some sort of message of, well, with God, there's no problems. Um, but that's not really what's happening here. Psalm 131 is directly connected to Psalm 130 that um, Ron preached on last week. And if you weren't here last week, or even if you were and you just want to be blessed again, go back and listen to Ron's sermon last week. It's, it's a beautiful picture of um, the gospel and how we are loved in Christ. Go, go check that out. But it, it's directly connected to this psalm. Like, they are meant to be together. And if that's the case, Psalm 130, um, we see the psalmist in the beginning saying that he's crying out of the depths. Um, that's where all this starts. He's literally crying to God out of the depths. 
um, he's, he's recognizing the brokenness of himself and the world and a need for forgiveness. Um, he's also pointing out that there seems to be this period of waiting. Um, you know, God may not be directly answering the things right away, and he's, he's waiting in this uncomfortable time of, of waiting. Um, you know, and aside from Psalm 130 and 131 being Psalms of Ascent, I can say that they're meant to be uh, directly together because Psalm uh, 130, verses 7 through 8, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all, from all his iniquities. See that statement there, O Israel, hope in the Lord? That's how verse 3 starts. So Psalm 130 ends here, but it's carried on into 131. It's saying, like, here's the situation, and here's what comes out of trusting in the Lord. Um, and so what is Israel to hope in? Well, with the Lord, there's steadfast love and redemption for all their iniquities. No matter what Israel was facing, whether it be persecution, consequences of sin, exile, oppression, whatever it may be, they know that God's love has always been steadfast. Um, He's been true to his word, and he's been true to his people. And they also know that even though they may be living in consequences of their own sin, that God brings redemption and forgiveness that God delivers his people. And the Israelites could live in this hope because they could look back on God's faithfulness to them. They, they can see that he's been faithful to his covenant with Abraham. They can see his faithfulness when he freed them from slavery in Egypt. They, they can see it when they were brought into the promised land. And they can even look ahead to what God has promised and have hope in that. Remember, hope in the Bible doesn't mean like, oh, I wish this will happen Um, It's actually hope has more of a sense of um, a deep trust that something is going to happen. Um, I think today we use it more in this, oh, I wish this happens. In the Bible, when it speaks of hope, it's a deep trust that it is going to happen. Um, So Israel's hope in the Lord was in his steadfast love, his forgiveness, and his redemption. And that hope was fulfilled in Christ's death and resurrection. And we now share in that same hope. You know, Psalm 131, I think um, all this talk of calmness and quietness and keeping your eyes right and all that, it's reiterated uh, in the New Testament when in First Peter he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And Jesus even shares this in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this quietness and calmness that David is describing, true quietness and calmness um, for your soul, only comes through Jesus Christ. It's found when we come to Jesus not for what we can get from him, but we come to him because of who he is. He is the true source of forgiveness, redemption, healing, peace, and steadfast love in which our souls are satisfied. Christ is greater than our struggles. You know, we may suffer from our brokenness and sin, but our hope is in the forgiveness and redemption of Christ. In Christ's death and resurrection, his hope is realized in that sin and death have been defeated. Our circumstances or our suffering may feel overwhelming, 
but we know that they will not last because of the hope that we have in Christ returning to make all things new. And so I'll close with this. If you know Christ today, but you find yourself struggling because of uh, your sin or because of circumstances, you're suffering for things, circumstances that are out of your control, um, turn your eyes back to Christ. Don't forget the hope that you have in him. He's redeemed you. He's forgiven you. He's overcome your sins. um, And he's made you a child of the living God for all eternity. Don't lose sight of that. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, and you find yourself living in endless guilt, broken relationships, or finding no hope in anything, then God is waiting for you to come to him. Christ is here and present. And it's not a matter of you figuring out Christianity or getting all the answers to your questions. It's a matter of answering that little tug at your heart. Um, It's saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, forgive my sins and bring peace to my soul. Give me the hope that can only be found in you. If, you're, if that's you today, you're struggling, whatever it may be, um, I'll be hanging out after. I would love to talk to you and, and pray with you or talk more about these things. Um, but I would just challenge us today as we go throughout our day, um, think about it. Are my eyes lifted too high? Have I set my goals on things that are too great, too marvelous? Um, Is my soul quiet and calm? Um, And if not, you know, how do I need to shift my my focus back to Christ? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the Psalms. Lord, I feel like it speaks so much to the human experience, Lord, um, where So many times we find ourselves in the depths, and it gives us a picture of how to cry out to you, and Lord, what hope in you means. And so today, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, all of us who are watching online, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those of us who have maybe set our eyes too high or lifted our hearts too high, that you would convict us of that, Lord God. I pray for those of us who are just... um, feeling like we're in the dark places of Psalm 13. Help us, Lord, to turn our heart and our eyes to you. And, and Lord, help us to start to see the true calmness and quietness that comes through you, Lord God. Um, help us to be the light of Christ to our families and to those around us today. In Jesus' name, amen.